0: Just imagine with me just for a minute or two. You've never been so tense in all your life. You've been held with in custody without bail on a murder charge. The courtroom battle has dragged on for a week or so and you're drained. You have no energy. Your life is filled with increasing anxiety. Finally, the big moment has arrived, and um, with your hands handcuffed, the bailiff leads you into the courtroom. And the jury files in after several days of deliberations. And the bailiff leads you into the courtroom. The courtroom falls silent as the judge calls the court to order. And he asks, Mr. Foreman, do you have a verdict? Your heart's pounding and your mouth is dry. You watch him rise. Your rest of your life depends upon his words. Yes, Your Honor, the jury finds the defendant... Not guilty. Not guilty. A flood of relief sweeps over you. Tears well up in your eyes. Not guilty. It's as if a heavy weight has been lifted from your shoulders. The bailiff unlocks the handcuffs. And you hear the judge declare you're free to go. Freedom from the condemnation. Life suddenly takes on new meaning. You're free from confinement. You're free from the constant pressure of the charges against you. You're free to begin a new life because you've been released of these charges. Can you imagine what that would feel like? I hope so. Every believer ought to know You know, I had a friend, a a roommate at Calvary Bible College, and I believe he struggled with the weight of sin. He was an alcoholic and he continued to struggle with this addiction. And one one day he returned from a time when he was struggling and I truly don't remember and don't believe that he had been drinking at that time. But he was just struggling with the desire and the addiction. He was alone in our room and picked up my Bible and read Psalm 32. Obviously guilt causing him pain and he scribbled in ink the markings of the pages of my brand new <laughs> NASB study Bible. Psalms 32 is what we're studying today. Our sermon series, uh, for this summer is summer in the, in the Psalms part two. And, uh, Last year, we divided the five books up into psalms, and each of us preached from those books. This year, we chose a favorite song, but in my case, a psalm that has made a lasting impact in my life, and I chose Psalm 32. For some of the same reasons my roommate did, the psalm reveals the tragedy of not confessing our sins before God and gives hope for the result of when we do. David knew what it felt like, uh, whether it was Psalm 32 that stemmed from David's sin with Bathsheba or some other incident. It shows that he knew how it felt to have God as his condemning judge. But He also knew the joy and relief of experiencing God's forgiveness. If you will, turn with me to Psalm 32, and if you would, stand with me, as I read. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters that they shall not reach you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in a way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. Pray with me. Almighty God, we come to this psalm this morning, and we just ask that you help us to get a better understanding of your words. God, I pray that you'll just use these words and And even in my life, as I've studied in the lives of my brothers and sisters, our relationship with you become deeper and more mature as we understand how to confess and ask for forgiveness and not allow these things become a barrier to us. God, I thank you for your words. I thank you for David and the lessons that you taught him, that he now can instruct us. And may we have ears to hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our title for this message is The Blessings of Forgiveness. Psalm 32 is one of the penitent psalms, along with Psalms 6, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. And in my Bible, the beginning of Psalm 32 says a mascal from David. Some Bibles says a psalm from David, a mascal. The word mascal is the first is first found here in Psalm 32. And it's also found in 13 other Psalms. And of those 13, six of them, David wrote. Mascal appears in the superscription of these 13 Psalms. And there's varying interpretations of this word. However, to to quote Logos, the term most likely means to have insight, to be skillful. So David is instructing us. He's giving instruction to know the blessing of God and the blessing of God's forgiveness. The blessing of forgiveness should urge us to confess sin. This psalm flows out of the great anguish of David's heart as he groaned under the load of his guilt Which brings us to the first point in this morning's message. As this psalm teaches us to know the blessings of forgiveness, we need to feel the burden of guilt. Whatever happened to guilt? It seems as guilt is kind of a forgotten emotion. And uh, rather than feeling guilty, we tend to justify, we psychologize the reasons for our actions. And you notice that David does not say how blessed is he whose childhood issues are forgiven. David knew that he had sinned and he felt deeply the guilt of his wrong actions. As we read these in verses three and four, his guilt was making him physically ill. It says, "For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all my all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is not the only place that we see David acknowledging his guilt and sin. In Psalm 38, it reads in verses 2 through 8, he says, For for your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh. because Because of your indignation, there is no health in my bones because of my sin for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning for my sides are filled with burning there is no soundness in my flesh I am feeble and crushed I groan because of tumult Of my sin. A good case of guilt is a healthy thing when you have sinned. Those who appreciate most the gift of God's forgiveness are those who have felt most deeply the guilt of their sins. Those who appreciate most the gift of God's forgiveness are those who have felt most deeply the guilt of their sins. In my studies of this psalm, I came across a quote from Charles Spurgeon. You all know Charles Spurgeon was a British preacher of the 18th century. And uh, Charles Spurgeon went through five years as a child of feeling intense guilt before he was saved. And here's a brief excerpt from his autobiography. But when... Young in years, I felt with much sorrow the evil of sin. My bones waxed old with my roarings all the day long. Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. I hungered for deliverance, for my soul fainted within me. I feared lest the very sky should fall upon me and crush my guilty soul. Today, we'd probably take this young boy to a counselor, Find out what's wrong with him. But God was preparing him to preach. Until we feel the burden of guilt, we can't truly exclaim with David how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The burden of guilt should drive us to forgiveness. You know, maybe some of you here this morning is struggling uh, with guilt and even tormented by guilt. Perhaps no one knows about your sin. And although you're putting up a good front, deep down inside, you're deeply troubled. You know, we shouldn't just shrug it off. We just can't just explain it away. It should drive us to our knees. It should bring us to the realization that we cannot do this on our own. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Let it drive you to the cross. So our, our, our first blessing is to know the burden of guilt. As we see in our first point, to know the blessings of forgiveness is to need we need to feel the burden of guilt. The second point that This morning's message is the blessing of God's forgiveness are great. Psalm 32 begins just as Psalm 1 does with a plural which might be rendered, Oh, what joy! Another word could be happy or joyful. What joy when sins are covered. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. There are blessings for the person who experiences God's forgiveness, and we see four of them in these first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no, no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. David uses four Hebrew words for sin, and they use three words for forgiveness. And these will help us understand what it means to have a clean conscience before God. First of all, let's look at the four words for sin, transgression, Transgression is a rebellion, refusing to submit to rightful authority. God has ordained certain limits for human behavior for our good and the good for our society. When we go against those limits, we transgress. We refuse to be subject to God's rightful authority in our lives. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Then the word sin, to miss the mark. While transgression looks at the violation of the known law, sin looks at the coming short of the aim that God intended for us to reach, whose sin is covered. Then the word iniquity, for a word, from a word meaning bent or twisted, it has a nuance of perverting that which is right. Anytime you've done something crooked, you've committed iniquity. And blessed is a man against who the Lord counts no iniquity and then the word deceit it's a deliberate cover up of falsehood hypocrisy trying to present false front so that you look good even when you know you're not and in those spirit and in whose spirit there is no deceit those words of sin condemn us all all guilty before god but david's words for forgiveness show us what it means to have a clean conscience before god The word forgiven means to bear, to carry off, or to take away a burden. Our sin is a burden which God Himself bears. You know, we're all familiar with the word scapegoat. In Leviticus uh, chapter 16, verses 8, 9, and 10, And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Aziel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Aziel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Aziel. A scapegoat takes the blame, and everyone else goes free. The term comes from this Hebrew sacrificial system The high priest would select a goat, lay his hands on its head and confess the sins of the people, thereby in ceremonial fashion, putting their sins on the goat. The animal was then sent into the wilderness as a picture of how God carried their sins away from himself. The sacrificial system also pointed ahead to Jesus Christ. He was the perfect and final scapegoat. He bore our sins away once for all, so that when we put our trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, our sins are gone. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The word covered, covered is out of sight. God puts our sins out of His sight, which means He will never bring up sins as a matter of judgment between Him and us. If we're in Christ, our sins are covered by His blood, whose sin is covered. When he says in verse 2, Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He's talking about um, imputing, not charged to our account. This verb is used for God's dealing with Abraham. In uh, Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Paul argues, also argues in uh, Romans 4, verses 5 and 8, that the righteousness which comes from faith alone is not from works. Verse 5 through 8 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, and then he quotes in Romans 4, Psalms 32, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You know, it's as if I had run up a million dollar uh, bill at a department store and I had no money to my name and there's no way I can pay this debt. But the store informs me that the charge number on my card actually was charged to another man's account. And that man was a multimillionaire. And he's willing to pay my debt. On my behalf. That's what God has done for us in Christ. We owed an unpayable debt of sin, but Christ paid it on the cross. When we trust in what He did, God credits our account paid in full and even adds the righteousness of Christ to our account. Martin Luther said, Sin has but two places where it may be either may it be with you so that it lies upon your neck or upon Christ, the Lamb of God. If, but if now it lies upon your neck, you are lost. However, if it lies upon a cross, you are free and you will be saved. If your sin is, is upon Christ, you enjoy the blessing of a clean conscience. Which brings us to our third point this morning, taken from verses 6 and 7. The same man who in in verses 3 and 4 complained that he was oppressed by God's hand when he said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. He declares God to be his hiding place. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. David feared God as his judge. He now takes refuge in him as his protector. The flood of great waters referred to in, in uh, verse 6 refers to God's judgment. The man who has experienced God's forgiveness need not fear The flood of God's judgment you know what a blessing it is that instead of having to run from God now we can run to God and know we are safe now there's a story that's told of a wagon train crossing a prairie and when they came upon a hill they were terrified to see a prairie file fire racing in their direction it seemed as if they would be engulfed by the flames but the leader quickly rode to the back of the caravan and lit the dry grass behind them on fire. The same winds blowing the flames toward them fanned the flames away from them. Within a few minutes, they were able to move to the burnt-off area. And as the heat and smoke became more intense, a little girl cried out, Are you sure we're safe? Oh, yes, yes said the wagon master. We're safe because we're standing where the fire has already been. If Christ has taken the fire of God's judgment, then we're safe if we take refuge in Him. And this uh, Psalm 32 verses 8 and 9 reads, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will stay near you. Our fourth blessing of forgiveness comes from these verses, the blessing of God's instruction. These verses are saying that God will teach and guide the person who is sensitive to his leading. If we confess our sins and grow in sensitivity to his word, he will direct us. We're not to be stubborn or self-willed like a horse or a mule so that God has to put a bit and bridle on us. Rather, we are to be sensitive to His Spirit and His Word, developing a tender conscience. God will use those means to direct the forgiven, the forgiven sinner into paths of righteousness. You know, maybe we should try to picture God's people as a farmyard As farmyard animals. Now, God cares for his animals. He shows them where they need to go. He supplies a barn for their protection. But there is one beast that God has an awful time with, and that's the mule. He's stupid and he's stubborn. And you can't tell which comes first the stupidity or the stubbornness. Now, the way God likes to lead His animals in the barn for their food and shelter is by teaching them all a personal name and by calling them by name. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. But the mule will not respond to that sort of direction. He's without understanding. So, God gets in his pickup truck and goes out into the field and he puts the bit and bridle in the mule's mouth, hitches it to the truck, and drags him stiff legged and snorting all the way back to the barn. That's not the way God wants us, his animals, to come to him for blessing. One of these days, it's going to be too late for that mule. He's going to be clobbered with hail or struck by lightning, and when he comes running to the barn door, it's going to be shut. Therefore, don't be like the mule. Instead, let everyone who is godly come to God in prayer at a time when he may be found. God is in the business of not just covering our sins, but also in shaping our character. And I think the reason David intends for us to understand verse 6 as an alternative to mule-like behavior is because I think in verses 3 and 4 you see a picture of David, the mule before he learned to pray. Is your conscience more growing more tender towards the Lord? The person who understands forgiveness by God's grace won't continue in sin, but will grow more sensitive to the ways of the Lord who has freely pardoned Him. Which brings us to our last point this morning. Verses 10 and 11 Read, And many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David ends the psalm by contrasting the wicked who have many sorrows with the righteous, who are surrounded by the Lord's unfailing love. The righteous are not those who never sin but rather those who are upright in heart because they have confessed their sins. The thought of God's mercy to sinners who don't deserve, it causes David to break forth with joy. The judge of the universe has pounded his gravel and proclaimed not guilty, You're free from the weight of your sins. You're free from the condemnation because God, because Christ has paid the penalty. There's no greater joy than that of knowing your sins are totally forgiven. John Calvin sums it this way. David here teaches us that the happiness of men consists only in the forgiveness of sin. For nothing can be more terrible than to have God for our enemy. Nor can be He be more gracious to us in any other way than by pardoning our transgressions. Those are the blessings of experiencing God's forgiveness. We have a clear conscience before God. We have God as our refuge. We have his instruction, and we have great joy in Him. But how do we experience those blessings of forgiveness? And lastly, I want you to know how you can know the blessings of God's forgiveness. The turning point is in verse 5, where it says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here David confesses his sin, and in verse 6 he says, he exhorts his readers to pray to God while he may be found, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach you. This kind of implies that there's a window of opportunity for repentance when God is appealing to our conscience. If we refuse to turn to the Lord, we may be hardened beyond remedy. Proverbs twenty-nine one says, He who... His often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Please note in verse 5 David confesses his sins directly to the Lord. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity. Didn't confess it to a priest, not even to the ones who he may have wronged at that point. Sin is first and foremost against the Lord, and we must confess it to Him. So what does it mean to confess sin? The Hebrew word and the Greek word used to translate both have the idea of telling forth or acknowledgingly openly one's sin. If we cover our sins before God, He covers them uh, from His judgment. The New Testament word used in 1 John 1, 9, which says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, has the nuance of agreeing with God and and acknowledging our sin. Acknowledging our sin means we call sin, sin. We don't explain it away as a faulty coping technique due to some dysfunctional family background. We don't excuse it as a weakness or a human nature. We say, Lord, I have sinned. And the sooner we confess, the sooner we experience God's blessing. So we ought to be in the habit of confessing sin right away. We also see it as serious. The closer you get to the Lord... uh, and see sin from His perspective, the more serious you will see it. My sin put my Savior on the cross. My sin always causes damage, damage to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, damage to others in the body of Christ, and damage to me. Sin always erects barriers between us and God and between fellow human beings. Thus, we must take sin seriously confession cannot be flippant we see confess sin as forgiven you forgave the guilt of my sin no sin is too great to be forgiven if i have truly confessed my sin and i still feel guilty it's not the lord but the accuser of the brethren who has troubled me and we see a reference to that in revelation 12:10 where it says And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority has come from him. For the accused of our brethren has been thrown down. We must rest in the promise of God that he is faithful and just to forgive all of our sins when we confess them to him. It also means um, we must accept the responsibility for sin. Sin deceives us. Confession means that we remove that deceit, we stop the cover up. We openly and honestly are, we are open and honest about it before our God. Accepting the responsibility means being willing to forsake sin in his strength, not our own. Proverbs 28:13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It's a sham to confess sin if you have no intention or willingness to forsake it. It's a sham to confess sin if you have no intention or willingness to forsake it. You may not feel like forsaking it, and you may have to confess that too. If you're struggling with sin, (laughs) Small group is a great place to be. Have your brothers and sisters hold you accountable. If you need to talk with an elder or a pastor, seek us out. If you need biblical counsel, let us know. We can help. Accepting responsibility for sin also means confessing to others you have wronged. You know, David doesn't deal with that aspect here. It's not a but it is a part of biblical teaching on the subject, and we should not ignore it. If you have sinned against someone else, first confess it to God, and then go to the person and confess your sin to them and seek their forgiveness. This way your conscience is clear before God and man. You may need to make restitution if your wrong has deprived another person. The great blessings of God's forgiveness are experienced when we confess our sins. Confession, it involves acknowledging our sin to God and accepting responsibility for it. You now, just as my roommate was troubled with sin, he also found joy experiencing the forgiveness of sin. And there have been times that I have struggled with sin. And I have remained silent. And it was eating me alive, so to speak. And I gradually, I'd get past my pride or whatever stubbornness that was in my life at the time that stopped me from falling to my knees and ask God for forgiveness. You can be free from guilt before God today and every day. There's no greater blessing than that of having your transgressions forgiven, your sins covered, your iniquities are not counted against you by the Lord. That blessing is available to you right now if you confess your sins. Let's pray. Almighty God, I... Thank you that you are long suffering, patient. God, I thank you that you are a God who is just. God, I thank you that you have provided a way for us to be free from sin, to have our sins forgiven. But I pray that this, these lessons will be lessons that um, we will take serious, and we will grow and mature in our walk with Christ as we become quick to confess and repent, turn away from sin. God, we acknowledge that we're not able and have no power to do it in our own strength. We ask your help. Give us that help, that strength to live a life that brings you honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.